everyone, I'm Tiffany Xingyu. I'm the GM and a co-founder of Oasis Consortium. It is a nonprofit that builds brand and user safety standards for the industry. Welcome to Brand Safety Exchange, where I interview experts and veterans in the space. And today I have Cheryl Ghosting, the EVP of Membership Engagement and Development of IAB Interactive Advertising Bureau. Welcome, Cheryl. Hello, Tiff. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So tell us about yourself and about IAB. Okay, well, I'll start with IAB. IAB, the Interactive Advertising Bureau, is the really the trade association, the center of the entire digital media ecosystem. So we work across the entire digital media landscape to really help drive the industry forward and make it possible for advertisers to leverage the power of digital media. And we do that in multiple ways. So I'll just quickly give you the ecosystem view. So all the different things that are impacting or enable or challenge digital media. So the enabling piece, we have our tech lab partnership, which helps with all the technical specifications and really the underpinning of digital media. So what does the industry need to make sure it runs smoothly, transparency, safety, all of those things from a technical perspective, creating standards, pathways for compliance. They're at the heart of that. It's a lot of engineers working from across the industry on a global level to make sure that properties are being built and tools are being built in a way that make it easy for the industry to function and for buyers to buy and for sellers to know who's doing the buying and all of, you know, just to make the industry function. So that's the tech lab. Then we have a privacy policy team in DC that are there making sure that lawmakers understand that when they pass state-by-state regulations on privacy, like CCPA, then they're aware of what the implications are for that. Or if we start doing state-by-state taxation on digital advertising, what's the impact that that has on digital media. So they're really there lobbying on behalf of the industry and educating lawmakers on the impact that some of the laws and decisions they're making has on the ecosystem. We also have big events. We've got our annual leadership meeting coming up, which is really bringing the whole industry together to talk about the biggest issues the industry is facing. Migrating away from cookies, what does that mean? privacy policy, all the things that I'm mentioning, we're going to have whole days dedicated to those topics. And we're really bringing together the buy side, the sell side, chief privacy officers, legal data experts, all coming together to work through the issues around these topics that impact the industry. Uh, Then we also have a learning and development team, everything from e-learning and understanding programmatic and data fundamentals and all the different things that you need to know to be in this industry. And then we have some professional development classes, and now we're rolling out a a bunch of courses and activity around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we have research, and we do a lot of thought leadership. So needless to say, we're a pretty busy team of about 75 people. You speak like a true EVP of membership (laughs) engagement and development. (laughs) That's a good thing. 
I'll tell you what, what my role is as the EVP of member engagement and development is to really look across our membership base, which is about 650 different companies that make up the digital ecosystem. That could be ad tech, media, ad agencies, brands are all part of, of, of the ecosystem. So many of them are, are IEB members. But my role is to make sure that the members know all the different things that we're doing and engage with the IAB across those different initiatives. So we align them with the different initiatives that we're doing, whether it's working groups and committees focused on AI or AR. So if that's important to you, then you wanna get people from your company on those working groups and committees. I'm also making sure that we are monetizing the things that we do so that as, a, as an organization, we're able to fund and support the things that are important to the industry. And it's really making sure that we're doing the things that are gonna drive the industry forward in the most impactful way. So it's really overseeing all the things that, that touch our members. You're so close to members and not mentioning, we just chat a little bit before this show recording, you have been in digital media for 30 years. So share a little bit with yes. the audience, <laughs> mega trends you have seen, you know, since the past year, uh, what have you really heard from the market your members care about these days in digital media? I'll start with really what I'm seeing in terms of trends on the media advertising, sales, and buy side. First, I think what's happened with this whole COVID environment, uncertainty was just the clouding over everything. So in a sea of uncertainty, you have to be able to pivot quickly, have flexibility, agility. So one of the things that we saw where a lot of marketers were quickly pulling their ad campaigns about a year ago when really I would say the crisis hit, when you had the really massive reach now of the COVID situation. So there was a health crisis happening, which was leading to an economic crisis because you had all these small businesses and shutting down and companies, air, hotel, travel, all of that shutting down. Then you had the social uprising happening right on top of that. So you really had this crisis happening simultaneously, which really scared marketers are like, uh-oh, we don't know what to do. We don't want to be tone deaf and have the wrong messaging. We're unclear about how our customers perceive brands right now. So they want to be very sensitive. So what that meant is that agencies and media companies had to be willing to shift gears and be accommodating to brands and also function in a sea of uncertainty. Suddenly all of their employees are working at home. No one's going into an office. What does that mean for building relationships with clients if you're a sales organization and you can't get in front of the clients? All of this uncertainty really said, okay, we have to start a whole new way of working. So uh, the way of working has to be about flexibility, agility, empathy. We have to just start thinking about how we can be here for each other to get through these really trying times. And some of those things I think are not going away. Like now that we've realized we actually can function in a more real time basis, I think it's hard to go back to giving someone a month to work on a proposal, for example. I think those buying cycles and those shortened timeframes are gonna be the new normal. We're actually hearing from the buy side already that they don't really see the need to do long-term planning, that mm -hmm. they have budgets allocated for the year, 
but not specific. They have budgets identified, but not specifically allocated yet. And they want to wait and see how things evolve. What does reentry look like? How quickly are people getting back to an office? You know, are they waiting until this herd immunity is at mass? Not knowing, it's still in a sea of uncertainty, not knowing any of those things. They're really hesitant to place long-term bets on buying certain programs and products. And then the speed of innovation and technology is the other factor. Like all of a sudden, Clubhouse is this hot thing now. That came out, out of nowhere, literally, I would say, in the last month. Mm -hmm. From being, at, you know, at least I didn't know anything about it until I would say the, you know, about a month ago. And now, of course, I'm getting pinged every two seconds. You know, somebody just entered Clubhouse. But while I don't see ad opportunities there today, it won't be long before that's going to be figured out and part of the deal. And then next thing you know, the buy side is going to say, hey, should we be, you know, engaging with Clubhouse? So I think what you're seeing is the speed of innovation, the shifting consumer behaviors. Streaming TV was not anywhere near where it is today a year ago. Why? Because people are home and they're streaming. Podcasting has skyrocketed. So these are all new consumer behaviors that are forcing the buy side to reevaluate their media spend and think differently about where and how they connect with their consumers. So that, of course, affects the sales side. So those are just some of the things that I'm seeing today that I don't think are necessarily going to change. I, I love it. I just did a recording uh, last week with Dan Tu, and one of the major trends uh, they mentioned is about the agility you really need to put on. It really echoes what you just mentioned. Also, the change of behaviors, uh, including new, new media and new channels. Fun fact that, you know, since I joined the clubhouse, I was pretty inactive there until people say, you should actually just open a talk show on clubhouse. And then the next thing I knew, I said, great, you know, let's just create a February for better series about online trust and safety there. And then you just see the engagement there. I totally agree. You know, how you, how, how you actually capture that new channel is something like I actually think about. So obviously last year we have a pandemic still going on and then election one month ago insurrection in dc so the mis disinformation online toxicity are really really happening right now so so what have you seen among brands and advertisers as to how they address this trend of online toxicity and mis disinformation well, I'm glad you brought that up. We actually stepped in pretty significantly this past year around a whole campaign called New Saves Lives. Because what we were seeing is that a lot of brands, as I mentioned, they just pulled the plug and stopped spending money. That was their knee-jerk immediate reaction. You know, right after the George Floyd thing and COVID was spreading like crazy and people were now just staying home, they just, okay, pull back. And a lot of ad dollars just got pulled. Then it was like, okay, well, we can't stay dark forever. We need to kind of get back out there with some new messaging, but we also don't want to be around a lot of this negative stuff. You know, you were really getting the social uprising stuff, the political divisiveness and the craziness that was happening there. So they just started point blank. We don't want to be around anything that is COVID. We don't want to be around negative news. We don't want to be around anything political. And what was happening is they were just blocking really premium stuff as well. 
And, you know, on the flip side of that, a lot of our news publishers were saying to us, the pressure on the news organizations have never been greater. Mm-hmm. You know, we, first of all, we're also trying to function in a COVID world. We've got reporters trying to cover stories when travel is really challenging. They're risking their lives covering mobs and angry uprisings. And in many cases, the anger is, is aimed at the media. So they're risking their own lives being there with camera crews. So they've got that to deal with. And the consumption is through the roof. So people are glued to the news day in and day out, wondering what's happening because things were changing minute by minute and also because people were home. So you had this incredible consumption, engagement, like if anything, the traffic is like spiking through the roof, but their ability to monetize it was shrinking and the pressure to support the increased traffic, the need to really do a lot of digging and the need to vet your stories on a local level too, because COVID and the social uprising, all those things were happening in a very geographical, local way. Like what's really interesting to me is that this past year, suddenly governors and mayors were like in the limelight. Governors you'd never even heard of were suddenly on the nightly news and were the new rock stars. And so being able to have the resources to cover all of that stuff put an enormous pressure on news organizations. So IAB stepped in and did a whole campaign called News Saves Lives. And the idea there was to educate brands that you can function with brand safety in mind and still support news organizations, actually good for democracy to put your money behind these news organizations. Because if we don't have an open free press and we don't support the news media, then that in the long run is really gonna hurt our whole democracy. So we were very passionate about that. And then we did some research to show how do brands actually perceive, how do consumers actually perceive brands that are in news environments? And what we found is quite the opposite of what brands were concerned about. So rather than people seeing you as a supporter of negative news, they actually looked very positively on brands that were supporting the news, especially the more credible news organizations, because you're putting money there to help make sure that vetted quality news was getting out into the public and kind of kiboshing or countering some of the negative news and and misinformation that was out there. So we did a lot of work around that. And fortunately, we were able to see the trend going the other way, but there's still more work to be done. And I do think that there's pieces of the internet where we've, we have failed, you know, where there hasn't been the kind of transparency and self-policing that we should have put into place long ago. But now, you know, the pressure is on us to clean those things up and have a more transparent, vetted ecosystem. And we're not going to have a choice. You know, the government is stepping in, consumers are becoming more aware, and brands are asking questions. You know, where's my ad running? Who's seeing it? So I think accountability is becoming more and more to the forefront of how we need to function. So no, thank you so much. I'm so glad you mentioned the new campaign you just launched, as well as the word accountability. At Oasis Consortium, we work a lot with what I call the new generation of platforms uh, and publishers. So those are uh, gaming platforms, dating platforms, social media, where you actually have a lot of user-generated content. So they're not necessarily news, they're not necessarily fact-checked, 
and they are more uh, prone to potentially the toxic content. So we look into that part of the sell side. And then with that, if you take the LumaScape about the marketing advertising um, picture, you see, oh, great, that is just a subset of the potential sell side. And then you have all the buy side. And from the marketers to publishers, you have everybody in between. So it's always, you know, make me wonder if we try to solve the brand safety issue, who is the biggest stakeholder there? If you can only choose one stakeholder to start with saying, hey, you know, I'm going to put my money and resource to look at brand safety and that going to make the biggest impact in this LumaScape, who would that be? I think, first of all, the brands rule the world. It's their money, it's their dollars that drive everything else. And they're the ones that are really demanding the brand safe environments because it's their brands. <laughs> so ultimately, they're the ones that are, you know, have to set the bar at what point, what are the expectations, what are they willing to put their brands in and around, what environments do they feel are safe for their brands. And there are plenty of brands that have no problem being where negative stuff is and where, if that's where their audience is and that's where people who buy their product are, fine, they'll go there. And then there are plenty of brands that have much higher bars or will just completely, nope, we don't want to be around any of that. So they're the ones that set the bars. They're the ones that determine what brand safety means for their brands. So I think you start there and then they really lead the charge. You know, we have to all kind of learn to accommodate and find ways to meet the demands that brands are putting on the industry in terms of what they expect and what they're willing to spend money on. Then you see a Unilever, Prawn and Gamble, you know, start to really put statement out there and then start to yeah. ban, you know, the, the platforms who don't really take safety seriously on their platform. Then yeah, well, Unilever is a good example. Um, I recently heard them talk that they initially had been one of those brands that just did not want to be around news at all. And just said, that's it. We don't want to be in any kind of negative, political, don't want to be around it. And then have recently changed that and said, okay, you know what? That's not healthy either. That's not good. We really need to have quality, vetted reporting, fact-checked reporting out there in the world to balance out a lot of the negative stuff. And we have to support those organizations. So they started putting parameters in of what kinds of news they would support, what kinds of news properties they would support. And I'm glad they did, but they're a good example of just coming around and realizing they needed to do something, but starting from a very protect our brand mindset. Absolutely. So once we raised the bar from the brand side, what do you see as potentially the technical challenge to cascade into the whole ecosystem of advertising to really do brand safety? There are so many technical issues that we're, we're trying to create an ecosystem with transparency. The challenges we have is that first of all, you've got so many different types of technologies and you've mentioned some of the next new things so now all of a sudden you've got to think about gaming platforms and audio and voice. And now you've got, you know, Clubhouse, a whole new type of environment where there's not a lot of standardization, consistency. There's also not a lot of interoperability between a lot of uh, the different types of technologies and media outlets out there. Not everybody wants to play in the same sandbox, you know, and then you have a couple players like Facebook and Google that are so big 
They don't need the rest of the ecosystem. They can kind of go do what they want to do, create their own brand safe environments and do it their own way that may or may not sync up with the rest of the internet. So from a buyer's perspective, you end up with a very fragmented way of approaching your media spend and different ways of measuring, tracking, and verifying whether or not your brand is running in a safe environment. So getting consistency, getting agreement, interoperability, getting everyone to play nice in the same sandbox, and then a way to bring in the next new type of technologies and, and be able to accommodate and expand to bring them into to the whole fold too. These are all like just really big and very challenging um, environment. Then you throw in things like privacy policy that is different. So you have GDPR, you know, in Europe and CCPA here, and now there's new extensions of that happening and Virginia just passed their own version. So now you also have to do things that accommodate certain policies and laws that mean you have to collect data in one way and handle it in a certain way. And there's different types of opt-in for consumer awareness, what they can opt into, and then how that gets translated down the supply chain. So all of these present significant challenges to create this consistent, cohesive, transparent, brand safe ecosystem. So part of the challenge we have is educating lawmakers that look, the things you're doing are actually creating the opposite of what you want to do. You want a transparent, brand-safe ecosystem that's great for the consumer, too. We do, too. That's what we're fighting for. Doing it on state-by-state regulation isn't going to be the path to get us there. And you know, doing things that allow the big to get bigger and eliminate these small guys because they can't afford or can't keep up with the requirements needed to compete is just the opposite of what the impact is that you want, which is a free, open, safe web for the consumer. So it's this dichotomy of what's really happening, but what people want as the outcome are not the things that are syncing up right now. Okay. I don't know if that makes sense. No, absolutely. No, thank you. Thank you so much. In this industry, we see a lot of gaps. There is a gap between the government understanding of the space versus the private sector. There is a gap between consumers' understanding of that versus the, the corporates. And then even being entrenched with platforms, with security folks, and I see a gap of understanding between the CISO org versus the CMO org when it comes to privacy. Right. And so it's tremendous that you do a lot of educational work to, to really bridge the gaps out there. One thing I kind of want to dive deeper into is this challenge I've heard quite often. So today when people try to do brand safety, they try to use keywords. As you just well put, you know, every brand has their own way to define their branding. They're, they have different definition of what that means being brand safe. And then therefore they have a list of keywords. But that really leads to some unintended consequences. Right. Sometimes it's really not about just one list for all. You need to look at the suitability of the advertising and the content on the platform. So have you looked into this keywords versus new generation technology using AI to really make it easier for brands to execute you know, their, their high bar? That is definitely uh, something that the whole industry is really looking at. And first, let's start with the keyword situation. So you have keyword, this is our white label list. This is the list we want to block. 
and the unintended outcome of these, like, we don't want to be around and anything that's this word, this word or this and the implications that was having. And that was really affecting a lot of the small business minority owned properties inadvertently because there's certain language issues too, like things that are common language that you would find in more urban type of cultures were things that were getting blocked on block lists, but it's common language on more multicultural type sites. And therefore really good, clean vetted content was getting blocked. Or I can give you a couple other examples. I remember this from my Yahoo days. We had a pretty solid like men's health section that uh, we had put a fair amount of money on a plan behind. And all of a sudden the ad blocking company was deeming some of the content irrelevant because some on the list were things like men's genitalia. And the fact is that these were like a men's health site. So in context of the site, it was not a pornographic, you know, property. It was a vetted, curated editorial area of Yahoo and with a high CPM that was getting blocked because they picked up a keyword that was on the block list. So now what we're seeing is with the help of AI and machine learning, they're scanning the page for context. So something like that would be avoided in the future. So instead of seeing you know, something that, that looks like it could be a porn site because of language that it's picking up, instead it's picking up the context in which that word is in and more like quickly reading the page saying, oh, okay, this is a men's health site. This is a perfectly appropriate use of language given where it is, therefore we will run the ad. So that will help a lot. I think, uh, you know, that those kind of technologies will prevent those unintended incidences. What do you think will be the most effective adopter of that technology? Would that be agency or ad server? Which part of the ecosystem, if adopting such technology, will get to the solution of the issue fastest? I think publishers should think about putting that kind of technology behind their own. If they're a big content site, mm -hmm. they may want to make sure it's like having those web crawlers. You know, they may want to make sure that wherever the ads are being served, that that type of technology is built into the ad server, whether it's site served or it's a third party ad server. I feel like it's somewhere in that mix is where that should play a part. Publishers, I think, should consider offering that up as part of the buy, you know, if there's a way to do that so that they don't get their own content blocked. If you're a big content site, it might be worth doing that, but I think it should probably sit with the ad server. Yeah. Thank you, Cheryl. To wrap up the VOD uh, and podcast, what would your recommendation for the industry to really increase the transparency and uh, accountability to media buy? Well, I think first that we have to be more willing to be transparent. I think number one is that I think we need to have a, a, a more of a heart to heart about our own companies and our willingness to adopt a transparent mindset. Mm -hmm. I think a willingness to step in and be a part of a larger solution and not look at just what's best for my company, but what's really best for the industry. So more of a collaborative, cooperative approach because what's good for the industry will ultimately 
be good for my company. And, and, and I see right now too much of, we want to do it this way because that's best for us, or we're not willing to share our data, or we're not willing to share, why would we do this? Because that's not good for our business. And that kind of mindset is just going to limit our ability to grow as an industry. It will limit the ability for many smaller players to even survive. And what we'll do is just feed the big guys, you know, who do have the capability of having a closed at scale brand safe environment with their own first party data. So I think if everyone else doesn't find a way to say, you know what, we have to put aside what's just best for us and say what's ultimately best for all of us. And that's going to be the way forward for us to get further faster. That's such a good wrap up because it's really says to why we are here, right? We're trying yeah. to do the standards, you know, for the industry together. Uh, so true. And really, you know, personally, thank you, Cheryl. When I started Oasis Consortium is really to take the perspective saying how we can help platforms and the new generation publishers to build a user safety. And therefore you raise the sea level and really contribute to the broader industry goal for brand safety. And I was so glad that I met you on a journey and have yes. guided me through this journey. Thank you so much. Oh, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for the uh, opportunity. Thank you, Cheryl. <laughs>